Welcome back to another episode of The Money Stop. It is the most important stop of the day. And alongside Cole Cusimano, my name is Steven, and we come to you after another great weekend of racing at Phoenix Raceway. And again, Cole and I, we were both in attendance, got to see what happened on the track. And Cole, first things first, how did the weekend go for you? And what were your thoughts on what transpired on the track? So first off, uh, attending as a media member, it was definitely different than years past, as expected with covid I'm used to kind of patrolling around the garage area, going through the pits during the race, just kind of, you know, getting different perspectives and talking to different uh, journalists and in, in media center. But, you know, it was very restricted, obviously. Um, but it was overall a really good weekend. I think what we saw in the Xfinity series was some of the best racing I've ever seen. And I think it was the best race I've personally seen since attending Phoenix in 2008 for the Xfinity series. Arca race was pretty good. I think Ty Gibbs is the real deal. I, if you're saying he isn't, you're lying to yourself, and I don't know why you would do that. But cup racing, um, to be honest, it was fine. And I feel like it was kind of doomed to fail from the beginning, only because what we saw at Vegas was incredible. But it wasn't a bad race. The racing wasn't bad by any means. It was just a tough act to follow. But we'll get more into that, I guess, as the show goes on. Well, first of all, I definitely do agree about the Xfinity race. That was some of the best racing in that series that we've ever seen at this track, and we've been to every race there since uh, almost 2008, so was impressed with that. I mean, the racing, like you said, it wasn't bad. It was definitely not up to par with either of the Phoenix races last year, but mm -hmm. I think that one thing I was a fan of is that if you look at the top 10 of this race, which we'll get to in a moment... I feel like it was very representative of the top drivers in this sport. Like, if you were to ask me who are maybe the top 10 contenders for the championship, I feel like they all finished in the top 10 this week. Without and that's something that I'm excited to see, considering that this is the track where the championship race is going to take place once again. It was a race that was largely dominated by Penske until pretty much the end of Stage 3. Ryan Blaney won Stage 1. Joey Logano led the most laps, won Stage 2, and Brad Keselowski was in the top five virtually the entire day. Of course, Martin Truex Jr. was the big story, ended up kissing the wall in Stage 1, came back to win the race, and had a, a really nice drive to the front and a really fast race car by the time it was all said and done. But let's roll through this top 10 that I mentioned just a couple moments ago, beginning with Martin Truex Jr. and Joey Logano, who I just mentioned. They finished 1-2. and two. Finishing three and four were the two guys that we picked to win the race, Denny Hamlin and Brad Keselowski. Chase Elliott rebounded from what was turning into a pretty bad day to finish fifth. Kevin Harvick sixth, Kyle Larson seventh, William Byron eighth. So all three Hendrick Chevrolets that started in the back of the pack ended up finishing in the top eight and a career best finish at Phoenix for William Byron. Christopher Bell ended up in ninth and Ryan Blaney, again, the stage one winner, ended up 10th. Um, first off, Cole, do you agree with me? I mean, I feel like that top 10 right there is pretty representative of the top 10 drivers in this sport as far as uh, contenders for the championship right now. Without a doubt. And I think what we saw the last two weeks between Vegas and Phoenix, and honestly, even Homestead minus the actual results, those teams, those drivers are going to be the top of the class, top of the field every single week. Penske, Gibbs, Hendrick. And then you'll have Kevin Harvick thrown in there, obviously, as well. Um, and yeah, I think that's going to be a common theme throughout the season. You might have your comers and goers at the, obviously, plate tracks and the road courses, but for the most part, I think it's all going to be Penske, Gibbs, and Hendrick all the way. Yeah, generally speaking, I definitely expect that to be the case. Now, let's move on to 
one of our first segments, which we like to call Stacking Pennies. And this is where we'll go through a few different drivers who have strung together a few really nice runs in a row, beginning with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He's been a reoccurring theme on this segment for us. He finished 12th at Phoenix, had a really nice run, was in and out of the top 10 pretty much all day. And we continue to see really sporty race cars and great driving from JTG Doherty Racing. Right. I think this falls back on what we mentioned in the previous show, and that is that that Hendrick Alliance is really paying dividends for them. And while we may be a bit surprised by it, I feel like Brad Doherty, the team owner, kind of saw it coming in a way because going into the 500 weekend, the opening race, he said that the 37 team of Ryan Priest was going to be an open team. They had to qualify their way in, race their way in, and lo and behold, they did it, and they actually got a top 10 out of it, I believe. So he saw this coming at some capacity. I think that they will be top 15 contenders pretty much all year. I, I can see that happening, especially with Stenhouse and how he's performing uh, thus far. Um, and yeah, I think, I think it's all good things for them right now. I agree. And I feel like at this point, five races into the season, it's not out of the question to say that one or two of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. or Ryan Priest could qualify for the playoffs because you look at how Stuart Haas Racing has underachieved and how some other teams are sort of not up to par like the 18 car of Kyle Busch, which we'll get to later. But I mean, like you said, they have consistently floated around the top 15 and they continue to be undervalued in fantasy, which again is also something that we'll get to later on. But I really don't think it's out of the question to see one or two of those drivers in the playoffs. Continuing with our stacking penny segment, though, couple cars with Penske motors, beginning with Ryan Blaney. Back-to-back -to -back top 10 finishes. We both said before the Vegas race we were expecting him to pull out of his start of the season slump. He certainly did. Really strong showing at Vegas, and then also a very sporty car at Phoenix. Uh, again, went up, took the lead from Brad Keselowski, won stage one, and ended up finishing 10th. But I, I think if you look at where he was running most of the race, his average running position, probably closer to the top five. Yeah, and like you mentioned, that was the biggest thing was... Going into Vegas, we were looking at him to kind of find his footing and dig out of that points hole that he, he dug himself into. And now, looking at the playoff picture now, if it were to end today through five races, Ryan Blaney would be 13th. He's still 102 points back, but at the same time, he's definitely finding his footing, building some consistency and some strong runs. But going on to the next guy in our Stacking Penny segment, who has been doing better than what he started out with, was Matt Benedetto. Another... Pretty strong run running around the top 10, finished 14th and approved upon that best finish of 16th at Vegas. Um, the thing is with him, he's so far in a points hole right now. Looking at the point standings here, he is in 28th, 174 points out. And with five different winners and guys like Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Chase Elliott still on the board that are going to eventually get wins and, and lock in themselves into the playoffs, they may have to very well win a race. Uh, to get in the playoffs because it's going to be very tough sledding to make it on points, especially for them right now. And I do expect Matt Benedetto to string together some consistent runs, kind of like we saw him do in the second half of last regular season. I don't think that it's too deep of a point hole. I mean, we're only five weeks into the season and we still have another 21 races before the playoffs start, so I'm not really concerned about the points, but I do want to look at the playoffs right now if they were to end today. Like you said, a couple names who you probably wouldn't have expected to be in there five races into the season, beginning with Michael McDowell, who, of course, will be there because he won the Daytona 500. 
Couple other names that stick out, both of the JTG cars. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is 16th in points, and Ryan Priest is 14th in points. But Kyle Busch, we said we would get to him. He is 15th in the points right now, was running in the teens and 20s pretty much all day, got into a little bit of a fiasco with Ross Chastain, ended up being wrecked on the front stretch. I guess I shouldn't say wrecked, he really just spun, but uh, that's another guy that is clinging to a playoff spot if it was to end right now. And again, we're not speculating whether or not they're going to make the playoffs because you know we're only five weeks into the season. But the point I'm trying to bring up here is when you look at the names who are currently not in the playoffs... Who sticks out to you as somebody that you think probably will get in? Because you look at Alex Bowman, Chris Busher, Bubba Wallace, Cole Custer, Ross Chastain, Eric Jones, Daniel Suarez, Eric Almarola, Tyler Reddick, DeBenedetto. I mean, there are some interesting names that I do expect to get in the playoffs. But then when you look at maybe the drivers who are 10 to 16 in the standings, um, outside of one or two of those, I wouldn't really consider any of them locks. So I personally think that we're going to see a lot of things change throughout the course of the summer in the point standings? I mean, yes and no. I, I feel like looking beyond 16th, there's a select few guys where I'm kind of surprised they're down there right now, but they're not going to be there for long. Like Alex Bowman, they've been a top 10 team all year, maybe borderline top 15, but they're going to pick it up. They're going to make the playoffs, I believe. Um, Eric Amarola. Eric Amarola and Matt Benedetto. I think those two guys, they're kind of stringing together some consistent runs here. They've had top 10, top 15 cars, and they'll get, get out of that hole, I believe. But some guys, like Tyler Reddick, I'm, I'm genuinely concerned about because you're seeing guys like Christopher Bell really perform well. And even Cole Custer has had some pretty strong runs, but he's been kind of... He's he, had no luck, Cole Custer. He's exactly. No he's, he's been driven into the wall. He's had parts failures. You name it, it's happened. But Tyler Reddick, he's just a guy that's really not impressed me this year. And he's had he had a really strong run at Phoenix in the spring last year. He did well at Homestead, obviously, as we all expected. But even at, like, Vegas, a track where you, you run that high line to find some speed, he was not formulating a good run there. And it's, it's kind of concerning to me. And this does come on the heels of a season where Chevy has been clearly very competitive. It's the best we've seen Hendrick Motorsports looking in quite a few years, as well as RCR. I mean, Austin Dillon has put together some really good runs as well. I do want to stop for a second and, again, talk about Kyle Busch because he hasn't shown really any semblance of looking like anything close to what we saw when he was the champion in 2019. And it honestly reminds me of the downfall of Jimmy Johnson's career. He had the three wins to start the 2017 season, but the end of Jimmy's 2017 season reminded me a lot of what we saw out of Kyle Busch last year. He only won one race, which came at Texas at the very end of the year, and then this 2021 season is looking a lot similar to the way things started for Jimmy Johnson in 2018, which was statistically the worst season of his career, and it just hasn't been there for Kyle Busch when clearly the speed is there for JGR. I mean, we have seen Martin Truex Jr. and Christopher Bell both win races. Denny Hamlin is in the top five every week, and Kyle Busch has been the outlier. I haven't seen any reason to be optimistic about what he is putting out there on the track. He came into the season with really high confidence that Ben Bayshore was going to take his team to the next level, kind of honestly putting the blame a little bit on Adam Stevens, a guy who had been so loyal to him and brought him so many wins throughout his career in both the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series, and things just haven't panned out the way that he or his team probably were expecting to five races into the season. Uh, I'm not concerned. He's 35 years old. He still has a lot of racing left in him. You know he's never going to lose that fight and that desire to win and succeed. And he's still racing Gibbs equipment. Let's not kid ourselves here. And 
I mean, he hasn't been slow. He has not like he's been off. I feel like he's had top 10 speed. He's run inside the top five. It's just been little mistakes here and there. But here's what I'm going to say. He has prior chemistry with Ben B. Shore, so they should be doing better than what they are right now. And you look at the winners this year. Kyle Larson, new crew chief in Cliff Daniels. William Byron, new crew chief in Rudy Fugel. Christopher Bell, new crew chief in Adam Stevens. Those guys are all putting together really strong seasons early on. It's a great point. And they're winning. And here you have Kyle Busch. He has speed, but he's not putting together these complete races. And I don't think it's going to be like 2020. I think he's going to get more than one win. But at the same time, I feel like we we had the same thing happen last season where he had speed early, but he couldn't close it out. And that pretty much just was the trend the entire season. And I have no reason to believe it's he's going to break from that. It's a new crew chief. They, they got to build that chemistry even what they had in the past. So it's just difficult to tell. And you want to say Kyle Busch is going to go out there and win five, six races like he normally does. But I truly believe those days are kind of behind us in terms of the Kyle Busch dominance with all these young drivers in the sport now and Kyle Larson back. It's just a different sport. I mean, I could definitely say I don't think he's in his prime anymore. Um, and like you said, it is sort of unpredictable because he's still Kyle Busch and it just feels like he is going to break out in a major, major way at some point and just win three or four races in a row just because he is Kyle Busch. And even last year, exactly like you said, it kind of just felt like he was walking on eggshells all year in the sense that he was finally going to win a race and they were going to start just steamrolling through the playoffs. But it, again, it didn't happen until very late in the season and things just have not picked up where he would have liked them to. And like you said, brought up a great point about all of the teams with uh, drivers, with new crew chiefs this year that have had success. I do think, though, that realistically speaking, Kyle Busch is one of the more difficult drivers to uh, find a good pairing for. I think he's just a very abrasive personality, and it's he does have the experience, like you said, with Ben Bayshore, but the fact of the matter is uh, it's going to be a little bit more of an adjustment period with a personality like Kyle Busch as opposed to a very conformable personality like Kyle Larson or like William Byron. So I do think, I think you're right. I think he's going to win a few races this year. He's going to be in victory lane. But with that being said, again, I do think his prime is behind him. And let's not forget, there are a lot of road course races this year, tracks where Kyle Busch historically runs very well. And so I expect him to be in victory lane a few times this year. He'll be in the playoffs. I would put him in really a similar position so far this year to Alex Bowman for Hendrick. He's kind of been the outlier, but yeah. there have been glimpses. There have been signs that he could run top 10, top 5. And, you know, we saw what Kyle Busch did at the end of the Vegas race in typical Kyle Busch form. Changed his line, was riding the wall all the way around the track, turned a 15th-ish place finish to a podium finish. And, you know, that's what Kyle Busch does. Uh, I think he's going to round into shape. And, again, I do think his prime is behind him, but... This is not the end by any means for Kyle Busch. Now, I do want to get back to what we saw at Phoenix. I think we both agree that it was a very representative race of the drivers who are contenders in the sport right now and what we're going to see in uh, November as well. Again, we did see Austin Sindrick win the Xfinity race. We saw Ty Gibbs dominate the ARCA race once again. I guess just between all three races, Cole, uh, any overarching thoughts that, that you took from the weekend outside of what we've already touched on? So I'll begin with Cup. I feel like Phoenix gets a lot of flack just because it's taking over the series finale that Homestead had for like 19 years. And people just rag on it for no reason. Like, I don't think the racing there is horrible by any means. And the biggest complaint back in 2019 was that you can't race in the PJ1. 
Um, I mean, they fixed that now. That's what I'm saying. I mean, okay. We've but, been wait, here wait, two wait. years now where I think the PJ1 has worked really well at Phoenix. And that's what I'm getting at. So back in 2019, it was very fair to say that the package was, was horrible. You couldn't pass. Mm-hmm. The PJ1, you couldn't race in it. But after 2019, you can't tell me what you saw in 2020 you didn't like. Like, passing was evident. People were getting, getting more grip in the PJ1. There was more lanes added. And that's it, it's clear as day and if you're saying that it's not good racing you can't pass then you're just saying that at this you're not point. watching the race exactly that's the case because case in point kyle larson started from the rear drove up to second got a speeding penalty went back up to second got another speeding penalty went back up to second and then another one drove all the way up to second and finished seventh he drove from the rear to second Three times on Sunday. He made 145 passes. That's ridiculous. And and under the radar here, Chase Elliott. He also had to start from the rear. He came back a second time after speeding penalty late in the race. 139 passes. So to say that, that passing is not a thing at Phoenix is a lie. And that was a very fair concern. I think as far as spectators go to Phoenix, you and I know the track as well as just about anybody, having seen every lap that's been run at this track going back to 2008 in every series, I'll be the first to say I was very concerned about the on-track product that we saw at the end of 2019 when they named Phoenix the site for the championship race. But credit to NASCAR and to Phoenix Raceway for making this a product that is not only entertaining, but the thing I'll say about Phoenix, the last three races in a row, I could say definitely the last two races, arguably that spring race of last year, What I love about this and the fact that it's the championship race is that the top five and the top 10 and the winner always seem to be very representative of the top five, top 10 cars of the race. The best car usually wins the race. The top five is usually very indicative of how things were run, how the race played out. And when it comes to a championship site, the bottom line is in any sport, you want the team or the driver or the player that wins to be the one that deserves it, the one that is most indicative of, you know, how who is most deserving for the entire season. And when NASCAR switched to this new format where it puts all the fate of a 36 race season into one race, you know, there were concerns about whether or not the champion would be the most deserving driver. And maybe we've seen that on occasions since this format has taken over. But what I like about Phoenix is that in addition to the really entertaining racing that we've seen there the past three times that they've been to the track, it seems like, for the most part, the most deserving team finishes first, and so on down the list. And I think November is really a perfect example when we saw the top four cars be the four championship four drivers. It's a perfect barometer of who's running the best, who deserves to win, and the on-track product has been great, in my opinion. And listen, this is not to say that that there can't be any tweaking done, because I do believe there should be something done to improve the racing, only because I feel like what we saw in this past race was the PJ1 was crucial. And we saw Truex get the win because he ran so well on the PJ1. And, I mean, I think this is a driver's track. No doubt a driver's track. But it requires a a complete team-wide execution. Like, from the crew chief down to the driver, down to your spotter, you got to be able to pick the fastest lane on the restarts. Those Mm -hmm. restarts are so crucial. You can gain a lot, and you can lose a lot in those restarts. And I think we saw that on display in both the Cup and Xfinity race. That's a great point, and that's, again, part of the reason why, as I continue to harp on this narrative, that 
I think it's a perfect championship site because there are so many elements that go into getting a win at Phoenix. Elements of strategy when it comes to tires, when it comes to pit stops, lane selection on the restarts. I mean, if you were scanning through the radios during any of the caution laps leading up to a restart, there was a lot of thought and strategy that went into what lane you should pick as far as if you're deeper in the pack. Obviously, if you're in really the top three rows, it's kind of obvious, but for the drivers deeper in the pack, it was kind of like a chess match. And what I liked about it is that exactly like you said, it's a driver's track for sure, but it brings the best out of every single team member from the driver up to the crew chief, down to the pit crews. And that's exactly what you want in a championship race because not every track would put out a product like that. Okay, you brought up two points I was going to bring up next about improving the racing at Phoenix and just the overall product, what we saw. So in reference to pit stops and pit crews, we've seen time and time again, Joe Gibbs racing is class of the field. Those guys are warriors down there on pit road. This was a kind of an uncharacteristic day for them because yes, they were on their game. They had them in position the entire race, but they weren't coming out first. You saw the Penske guys, the Hendrick guys, they all came out ahead of them. And we saw them get really aggressive on those restarts um, some guys trying to gain position on pit road, like we saw Kyle Larson speeding, obviously, and, and Chase Elliott. But it, it really makes it a very complex race. And the other thing you brought up that I was, I was going to bring up was, I think if you want this to be a, a great product, not only for Phoenix, but for every race on the schedule, limit tires. What we saw in Xfinity was unbelievable. Yeah, true. Four sets of tires for 200 laps. It lent itself to, like, a ridiculous amount of strategy. Yeah. A bunch of comers and goers. Uh, you had to be on your A game to call a race like that. And we saw, as a result, guys like Brendan Brown, Bailey Curry at career finishes. But even still, it, with all that, you had your your top performers, your, your two Phoenix aficionados, Allgaier and Sindrick, at, there at the end. So, in limiting the tires, you're saving money for the teams, but you're also putting on a great product for the fans in the stands, it requires every team to be on their A game, and I think it just presents a lot more opportunities for guys who may not have it um, had there been a proper amount of tires. I mean, for sure, I do agree with that. I think it would be kind of risky to make that move during the championship race. Uh, it would definitely make for a really entertaining product, and like you said, we did see the typical Phoenix ringers up there running one and two on the final lap. I don't know if I would do it for the championship race, but I think I would say out of all five races this year, as good as this one was, it was probably my least favorite uh, out of all of them. So, I mean, that's a testament to the fact that NASCAR and Phoenix Raceway do have some work to do before they get back there in November, because let's be honest, I mean, when it comes to this low downforce package and the PJ1 applied in the turns, I think teams have caught up to it. At first, it was a really just a big unknown throughout all of last year, and we even saw in November teams kind of caught up to it, and this race was a testament to that. I think they need to do something to make it a little bit more interesting and maybe open up some more passing lanes in addition to the ones that this PJ1 has added. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of different ways that they can go with that, and they have quite a lot of time to to make something happen on that front. Yeah, and the racing, like you said, it hasn't been bad by any means. I just want to see something more similar to what we saw in Vegas, because what we saw in Phoenix was the leader would kind of pull out to a really sizable lead, and I like keeping it very condensed. What we saw in the Xfinity race, it felt like a short track race. Like, Phoenix is known for being a short track that races like an intermediate track. And that was the first time I felt like, probably since I've been watching, that it felt like an actual short track. Tempers flaring, uh, very condensed racing, uh, a lot of strategy at play. It was just awesome to see. And I want to see that translate to the Cup Series. So whether that's maybe getting rid of the PJ1 so it condenses the racing um, throughout the field or 
maybe doing some tweaks to the package that remains to be seen. Here's what I will say. I don't know if that's an experiment to be made for the championship race, but this is one of eight races that will have practice and qualifying. So it could be maybe worth exploring. I would say probably not, but it's, it's out there. It's a good point about practice. I mean, they could test a few things and, and just see how they work. Moving on to our next segment, though. This is Nickel or Dime. We're going to rate paint schemes for the upcoming race at Atlanta Motor Speedway. We saw some great paint schemes on the track at Phoenix, and I will say there were a few that we talked about last week that were maybe borderline. We wanted to see them in person on track at Phoenix, and I think all of those sort of borderline ones ended up being dimes in person. I liked the way that they looked on the track, and so Mm -hmm. that being said, let's take a look at these Atlanta paint schemes for this upcoming week. I actually think there are more uh, dimes this week than there were even last week, and by the way, if you want to take a look at these paint schemes that we're evaluating right now, Follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at the underscore money stop. We've got great graphics coming out every single week with all of these paint schemes. And we usually start with our dimes, so I'm going to change it up here and start with the nickels. I'm not a fan of any of the Penske paint schemes this week. That includes the Auto Trader number 2 that Keselowski's driving. That includes the 12 body armor car that Ryan Blaney is driving, as well as the 33 that Sindrick is driving this week. Starting with that 2 and the 12, there's just not much of a design, a very full body color, and not just not too much going into these cars. They're kind of boring looking. And then also Austin Sindrick, who is running the race this week. He's running the uh, PureTech car, and I don't know, I'm just not crazy about the colors. It kind of looks like a rusted gold or yellow on the 33, and uh, it just, I don't know, it seems kind of dull to me. Uh, Those are the three that stick out to me as nickels. Uh, I'll turn it over to you for what your input is there. Before I chime in on this week's paint schemes, I just want to say, being at the track and finally being up close and personal with some of those cars, they looked beautiful. Yeah. And I just want to say... It's a good thing we're not reading every paint scheme because William Byron's Exalta car would be like a silver dollar every single week. I, yeah, I love that paint scheme so much. And uh, I think Alex Bowman's look really sharp in Phoenix as well. I do agree with you on the three Penske cars to an extent. Like, so Ryan Blaney's body armor car. It's a, a red base with like three neon yellow lines going down the side and across the number. It's a clean looking design. It looks nice. I'm just not a big fan of red cars never have been uh as far as brad kozlowski's goes it's pretty similar to the auto trader car he's run in the past Mm -hmm. but there's like a bit of a white by the front wheel well i don't hate it only because i like blue and orange we're big mets fans and Mets fans so the color scheme is what works for me um but color scheme that doesn't work for me is yeah like you mentioned austin cendrick's i just don't think it looks good the number looks weird too like it's very blocky and it looks weird the other nickel for me is going to be Anthony Alfredo's Georgia Peanuts car, it just, it's a mess to me. Like, I I don't like it at all. It's a weird color scheme. It's like a reddish orange and like a yellowish orange. I don't like like how the colors line flow to it. The colors intersect right on the number and it just, it doesn't look right to me. Like, it looks disproportionate the way it's designed. Maybe if it was leveled out more, it'd look better, but I, I don't well, know. one thing you do need to take into consideration here is that that yellow block is actually in the shape of a peanut. Yeah. So it's not completely random, but I, I just think if you're going to incorporate a peanut, do it like Ryan Priest did. Yeah. Do it like the number 37 car, the planter's car. That is a really sharp-looking paint scheme with the navy mm-hmm. blue and uh, the yellow stripes with a little bit of white incorporated, and they've got the uh, the peanut guy there on the left rear corner panel. And, and on the hood. I guess the hood as well. So, I mean, if you want to incorporate a peanut, that's that's the way to do it, in my opinion. That might be, 
Uh, I'm not going to say my favorite paint scheme because there's probably one I'm missing. I'm also a really big fan of Christopher Bell's yeah. Sirius XM paint scheme. Um, I would say those are my two dimes for the week. There are some other good ones, but just jumping off the page, those are the two that definitely stick out to me. Yeah, I love that Ryan Priest number 37. I think it looks really good, really good design overall, great color scheme. I think my favorite diamond of the week is going to be Justin Haley's Diamond Creek water car. Give it a diamond. Yeah, I mean, at that point, it's, uh, just yeah. go with the paint no, scheme. No, this yeah. one looks really good. So it's a, Very di cool. a bunch of different color, sh a bunch of different shades of blue. There's some diamonds around the uh, rear wheel well. I like Quinn Hauff's eight ball whiskey car a lot that one's cool it's i mean it's very simple and it mm -hmm. also incorporates the sponsor very well like it, it yeah. so it's got the three so the, the, the side of the door is white with three black lines going down the side there's a circle like a like a pool ball around the number yeah it the looks like the black. bottle it yeah. looks like the bottle it looks like the bottle and there's also some of that whiskey flowing by the number on the on the side door it looks really good. And the bottom line is you want your paint scheme to be representative of your sponsor. And I think that card's are really capturing 8-Ball Whiskey, as does a couple of these other ones, like the Peanut car for Ryan Priest and also the Sirius XM car for oh, Christopher yes. Bell. The last dime I do want to give out, though, is for the other Spire Motorsports car, and that is uh, the number 7 of Corey LaJoy, the Folds of Honor car. I'm a big fan of, I think I said this on our very first episode, I'm a big fan of the red, white, and blue paint schemes. And uh, this... Number seven car with the red number with the blue drop shadow looks awesome to me. In addition to uh, the way that those other colors are incorporated in the car, the red, white, and blue are each very balanced. I don't think there's uh, too much or not enough of any of those three colors. That's going to be the final dime that I give out this week. Um, I do like that other Spire car, the Diamond Creek one, but if I had to pick my three favorites this week, it's the 37, the 20, and the 7. I love that 20 car too. I love that shade of blue they're using. They also incorporate the logo very well uh, with that Christopher Bell Camry. And yeah, I, I think my three dimes I give out are going to be for Quinn Houff, Justin Haley, and Christopher Bell. Well, those are our opinions on the paint schemes this week. Again, take a look at our Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook if you want to see pictures of those and let us know what you think of the paint schemes that we're going to see on track this week. Now, again, per usual, we know what the cars look like. Let's talk about what they are going to do this week at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Uh, first off, the last four years in a row here, the race has been won by either Kevin Harvick or Brad Keselowski. So those are really the two favorites going into this week. And especially when you look at the odds per bet MGM, Kevin Harvick, who is going to roll off in the top 10, which we'll get to in a moment. He is the odds-on favorite at 11-2. And Brad Keselowski at 7-1 odds is fourth with both Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Larson tied for second best odds at 13-2. And Denny Hamlin, fifth best odds at 15-2. With that being said, let's roll through the starting lineup for this week's race at Atlanta. Beginning with Denny Hamlin, who will start on the pole, followed by Martin Truex Jr., Back-to-back -back Penske cars, third and fourth, Logano and Keselowski. Chase Elliott rolls off fifth, Kyle Larson sixth, Kevin Harvick seventh, Christopher Bell eighth, William Byron ninth, and Ryan Blaney tenth. A couple other notables deeper in the pack, Eric Almarola rolls off 16th, Kyle Busch a little bit deeper in the pack at 19th, Matt Benedetto rolls off 20th, Cole Custer 27th, Tyler Reddick will look to see if he can get back on track this week. He starts 29th and making his second career start at the Cup Series and starting dead last will be Austin Sindrick in the 33 car. Overall thoughts, Cole? I mean, like I said, we know who the favorites are entering this week. It's going to be some of the similar players that we've seen at this track throughout the past few years. But Cole, when you look at this lineup and where certain drivers are rolling off, what are your expectations as we roll into this weekend's race at Atlanta? So going through the lineup and... 
analyzing trends over the last three races, so three years, there's four guys that stick out to me, and that's Kevin Harvick, Kyle Larson, Brad Keselowski, and Martin Truex Jr. So looking over those last three years, Harvick has three top fives and two wins with an average finish of second and 377 laps led. Martin Truex Jr. has three top fives and an average finish of 3.3. Brad Keselowski, that one win, three top tens, average finish of fourth. And then over the last three years, Kyle Larson's only run two races at Atlanta, but he's led 142 laps in that time, which is, I believe, the second most among active drivers over the last three years. So to have one less race and still all those laps led is really impressive. And just the way he's been performing this year is just unbelievable. Now, with all that being said, you know, of course, those are the guys to watch. But when it comes to strategy, expectations, you know, what are we thinking out of this week? Because we just talked about all the strategy that we saw at Phoenix. We now come to our third mile and a half oval of the season after both Homestead and Vegas. What are we expecting to see uh, at, at this weekend as far as strategy and those types of things go? Pretty much the same thing that we saw the last three weeks, and that's crazy restarts, which is always a fun thing to watch for. Um, and then similarly to Vegas and, and Homestead, just running that high line, searching for grooves, high speed, high bank tracks. Uh, I gotta be honest with you. This is the first time since 2010 there will be two races in Atlanta this season. I I don't understand the call. Like, I, I, I love the schedule change, the revamp schedule, but I just feel like in terms of strategy and the overall racing product, I don't know why you would add another race here. It's, it's very lackluster. I feel like there's always that one one or two cars that can run away with the thing, and it's just a very anticlimactic race. So what I'm looking out for is two, maybe three established dominant cars in this race, and they're going to pretty much be the, the front runners the entire time. Uh, crazy restarts, as I mentioned. Um, and then, yeah, I guess maybe fuel mileage will come into play because there's not a lot of cautions at these tracks. There's only been five in each race over the last three years. Wow. Uh, so, I mean... I'm expecting a strategical race in terms of maybe fuel mileage, uh, crazy restarts for those stage ends, and uh, yeah, that's about it. Well, with that, I think it's best that we take it to the bank. Let's put some money in your pocket, give you our race predictions, and I do have to say, I'm on a three-race top five streak right now when it comes to picking my winners. I had Denny Hamlin last week, Brad Keselowski the week before that, and Kyle Larson the week before that. So ever since we left Daytona, my driver that I've picked to win has finished in the top five, and with that... Cole, you picked first last week, so I'm going to kick it off this week. And for my winner, I'm going to go with actually none of the drivers that you've named so far. I'm going to take the hometown kid, Chase Elliott. I just look at the first two mile-and-a-half tracks that we have run uh, this year, and uh, the Hendrick Chevrolets have just looked extremely strong. I mean, as strong as we've seen them when, really, they were in their glory days in the late 2000s, early 2010s, when it was Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon winning all of the uh, mile-and-a-half races. And I think that's a trend that we're going to continue to see at all of the intermediate tracks this year. And Chase Elliott has a good history at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Has not won a race there yet, but again, it's his hometown track. He consistently runs in the top 10 at this track. And I think he finally puts it together at a track that he wants to win at really badly. And he becomes the third Hendrick Motorsports driver to visit Victory Lane. When it comes to my sleeper, I was thinking long and hard about this one all week. And honestly, I think I'm going to have to take the low-hanging fruit. And I'm going to go with Austin Sindrick. He is starting dead last. It's his second career start at the Cup Series after the Daytona 500. There are certainly other ways you could go with sleepers in this race, but I mean, when you look at the way Austin Sindrick has run the last two years, including this one at the Xfinity level and just how his driving ability translates to the cup level, 
This will be his first mile-and-a-half oval uh, at NASCAR's Premier Series, and I'm excited to see how he does. And, and like you said, I mean, there are not a lot of cautions at this track. I think if, if there's any place where a rookie or a young driver is going to put together a strong effort that is very indicative of his talent and his skill set and what he's going to do in his career, it's certainly Atlanta. So I think it, it probably profiles to be an uneventful race, and I think that plays into the favor of a guy like Austin Sindrick. So I, I just, especially for fantasy purposes... He's starting dead last, so I, I like uh, throwing him in the lineup. He is a little bit overvalued this week, so there are other drivers that I'd like to consider in the lineup over Austin Sindrick. But again, going to take the low-hanging fruit, the, take the guy who won the race last week in the Xfinity Series and the defending Xfinity Series champion. It's Austin Sindrick and Chase Elliott for me this week. Talk about low-hanging fruit. You're left me with the, the winningest driver at, at Atlanta, Kevin Harvick. I mean... Yeah. I think that he rises to the occasion, and he's heard all the critics, all the media saying that he's in a slump, a so-called slump in 2021. Look at this guy. He, he finished 4th, 6th, 5th. He had the, the bad day at Vegas, and then 6th again at Phoenix. He's having a Kevin Harvick-type year again. It, it may not show it because he hasn't been to Victory Lane yet, but I do believe that he's angry, he wants to win, and he gets it done again in Atlanta. I think he leads the most laps by a, a significant margin, and he kind of establishes Stuart Haas Racing as one of those teams that, you know, is a force to be reckoned with in 2021. As for my sleeper, it's tough because I feel like we name almost the same guys every week, and I'm trying to stay away from that, but it's tough. I got two guys in mind, and they're guys I've already picked this year. I mean, we're five races in. I, don't, I think we're at the point now where we don't have to worry about picking a driver that we've picked already at some point in the year. I, I think when it comes to picking the same sleeper back-to-back -back weeks, that's where maybe there's a problem, but... You know, five weeks in, if I was going to pick a guy like Eric Jones or, you know, somebody like that again that I've picked already, I'm not sweating about it. Which, as I bring that up, I should mention, Chase Elliott is the first time that I have picked a uh, a winner twice in the same season. I picked Chase Elliott at the Daytona Road Course, and so that's the first time either of us have duplicated our pick. So I think it's it's right at that window where we can do it. For my sleeper, I'm going to throw an audible here. I wasn't going to go with Stenhouse, just because he's been really good this year. He finished 13th there uh, last year at Atlanta, but you know what? I'm going to go with Tyler Reddick. I think that this is a track that kind of caters to his skill set, riding that high lane, finding some speed against the wall. I think that he is, he could get a top 10 out of, that, out of this day at, at Atlanta. Yeah, Tyler Reddick actually is a guy that I like a lot for fantasy purposes because he is starting deep in the pack, I think 29th, so, um, and, and even considering that, he is pretty low value just because he hasn't run very well this year, but again, like I said uh, when I was defending Austin Sindrick, a, a track that really doesn't have a lot of cautions and is pretty uneventful, I think it favors some of the younger drivers who run into trouble in the more crazy races, and that includes Tyler Reddick, and you know, the, again, the Chevys have been fast at the mile-and-a-half tracks this year, and that is what Tyler Reddick drives, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him put together a top 15, top 10 run. Yeah, and he's got a couple top fives in the developmental series of the trucks and Xfinity, but um, he finished 16th there also last year in Cup. I just think that, yeah, it's a track that kind of caters to his skill set. I think he's a guy that's kind of feeling the pressure now with having all these abysmal finishes, and um, he gets it done in Atlanta. Well, let's end this thing by rolling out our DFS lineup for the week, at least our recommendation for you as far as Atlanta Motor Speedway goes. We're going to lead off our lineup with the most expensive driver available, and that's Kevin Harvick, who is worth $11,000. I think both of us and a lot of other people in the industry feel very confident in what Kevin Harvick's abilities are at Atlanta Motor Speedway. I uh, start seventh, and it's a pretty neutral starting position, and we think he's going to lead a lot of laps. After that, 
I'll list them off in descending price order. We've got Martin Truex Jr., Ryan Blaney, Christopher Bell, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Chris Busher. So before I pass it along to you, Cole, I do want to touch on Christopher Bell for a second because this is a guy who just seems to be undervalued in fantasy every single week by the odds makers. I think this might be the third or fourth week in a row that we've had him in our lineup, and he has yet to fail us. He's averaging 38 fantasy points per race and typically has a neutral starting position right there, borderline top 10, and we continue to see he's running borderline top 10, maybe even top 5, almost every race and he's got a win at earlier this year at the Daytona road course. So, uh, Christopher Bell, I'm, I'm on board to just ride the train until, uh, it fails us. I mean, he's only worth 7,800 this week. He starts ninth, I believe. So, uh, again, neutral starting position. I expect him to run in the top 10. That is the one guy who I consider to be a lock in our lineup, uh, as well as a couple other guys that were maybe borderline picks. I couldn't agree more with Christopher Bell. I think he's been a top 10 car clearly all year. He also has two wins between Xfinity and, and Trucks at Atlanta, so that's a really quality pick. Again, great price, great value. Uh, Ryan Blaney, he finished fourth here last year, and I believe that he's finally, you know, clicking off some good runs. He's finding some consistency, and I think that he uh, gets another quality finish here at Atlanta. And the thing I'll touch on with Ryan Blaney is that uh, I like his value too, because after him, there is quite a drop-off. It goes down to William Byron, who's worth $9,000, and then the next driver down would be Alex Bowman. So then you're talking about a, a lot of guys that historically are not good at Atlanta. Yep. So uh, Ryan Blaney is the cheapest driver out of that top tier. So, you know, I said Christopher Bell was the only lock. I actually like Ryan Blaney as a lock in my lineup as well. Yeah, and we also have Chris Buescher. Uh, not a guy you typically would throw into your lineup every day, but I just think based off his performance at Homestead this year that he could be very well be a contender as a comer and goer and, and maybe even for a top 15. And then, uh, yeah, Stenhouse. Stenhouse is a guy we've been praising the last couple weeks. Really, really consistent. I think that he gets another top 15, borderline top 10 this week. And then, of course, can't say enough about Truex and, and Harvick. I think that one of those two guys, in addition to maybe Kyle Larson or Brad Keselowski, gets it done in victory lane on Sunday. And let's talk about that for a second. Those are a few other guys that I like having in the lineup. I like uh, Kyle Larson, if you can afford him. I like Brad Keselowski, as well as Chase Elliott. And we talked about last week, you can never go wrong with Denny Hamlin. So um, we went with Truex because he was the most expensive driver out of those left in that top tier. Uh, I'm also a big Joey Logano fan, and he's pretty undervalued at 9400 this year. I mean, that's that tier of drivers that... You just know exactly what you're going to get. And if you wanted to downgrade from a guy like Harvick and go down to Kyle Larson, you might be able to afford uh, a guy like Chase Elliott in place of Martin Truex Jr. So when it comes to your two studs in the lineup in front of Ryan Blaney, there's a couple ways you can go with that. But we liked the combination of Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex Jr. With that, that is going to end this week's edition of The Money Stop. We recapped all the action at Phoenix previewed what we're expecting to see on the track at Atlanta Motor Speedway. We thank you so much for tuning in. And again, continue to follow us on uh, social media at the underscore money stop. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We've got great content flowing all week. Don't forget to subscribe and like us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you may be listening. And also feel free to tune into our personal accounts. I'm at Steven underscore Cusimano and Cole also has great content coming out every week for news from the pits at Cole underscore Cusimano underscore. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next week.